Well, good morning. I hope that you've had a great start to your Sunday morning as we've worshipped this morning. I hope that you have uh, had an opportunity to celebrate what we've been blessed with this morning. Not only um, that we've been blessed to live in this place, but that we've been blessed with a Savior who loves us and desires to have a relationship with us. Um, and that we're in a place where we can hear that gospel clearly presented. Um, and so many of us have been blessed with that mercy and that grace shown to us. This morning we're going to be looking in 1 Peter, so you can go ahead and begin to turn there. 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to be looking starting in verse 9, and we'll be going through verse uh, 17 this morning, so you can go ahead and begin to turn there. It's become quite popular, it's become quite popular in our Christian circles to attack our government, to downgrade our country, to moan and complain about where we are as a nation, to raise our fist at the culture that we've been given or the culture that has been created around us. And it's become somewhat of a pastime for us to do that and to, to sit and talk about that. And this morning we're going to be talking about our view of silver government and how the gospel impacts that. And I want to be, But I wanted to start off this morning to say, that that is not what we want to do this morning. I'm not here to gripe and complain. I'm not here to rail against one party or another. I'm not here and we're not here to moan about the situation. But rather this morning, what I want us to do is take a look into the word of God and see how we as believers. <clears throat> Sorry, I'll get my voice straight here in a minute. This is what happens when Melissa's not here. Everything falls apart. So, including me. Um, but we're here as believers to how the, how the word of God desires us as believers to see the government that we've been given and how we are to interact with it. Because as believers, we have a responsibility. As a believers, we have a calling to do all things for the glory of God. And that includes how we interact in this area of our life. And I'm going to challenge you this morning, well, not me, the Word of God is going to challenge us this morning to see that we are to be citizens worthy of our calling and worthy of the place where He has put us. And so I hope this morning that you listen carefully. This is a topic that if we do not listen with good ears and with an open heart, this is a topic that if we do not allow the Holy Spirit to speak into our lives that can very easily anger us, it's a one that can very easily divide us. And this morning, I pray that you will listen to the word of God with an open heart and submit any thoughts, submit any preconceived notions to him this morning. It's like what we talked about last week as we started this sermon series with the word of God. If we do not hold a high view of scripture and do not see that it is what God desires for our lives, then we will choose to go whatever path we want. And that's not good for us. We want and we need to follow him if we have made him Lord of our lives. And so this morning, this is this morning as we look at this specific area, I want us to be very careful not to throw in too much of our own um, our own viewpoints, but I want us to be very careful to look at the Word of God and see what it says. Because it is the only authority in our lives that matters. So hopefully by now you found Second Peter. Oh, sorry, 1 Peter. Sorry, I've been doing this all week. 1 Peter chapter 2, 
And we're going to be starting in verse 9. So if you would stand to honor the reading of God's word. Chapter 2, verse 9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, as exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which are wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation, on the day when he returns. And then jumping to 13, or moving to 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you shall put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. We'll stop there. Let me pray with you. Father, we come before you and we just thank you for everything you've given us, Lord. We thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that it speaks into so many areas of our life, Lord, where we have, we, we need to make decisions, God, and that, that we come across these daily things that we're going to be looking at over these next few weeks as you lead us through your word that we're going to be looking at these areas, Lord, that every day, Lord, every uh, around every corner is an opportunity for us to make a decision in these areas of our lives, Lord, and few are bigger than how we choose to interact with the government that you've placed over us. Few are bigger than how we are representatives of the nation that you have made us into as believers, as children of God. Father, I pray this morning, God, that you would make my words clear. Lord, I pray this morning that you would make your words impactful and transparent to us. Lord, that you may perform surgery on our hearts and cut away what should not be there and heal and embrace what needs to be there as we choose to look more like you today. Father, I pray this morning, Lord, that you would be in our midst so that we may rightly divide the word of God. I pray this in your beautiful name. Thank you. You may be seated. We truly do live in an incredible country. Um, and I think this is highlighted when you travel. If you've ever been overseas um, or had the opportunity to go to different places, different countries, whether it be um, other, other what we call first world countries, England or Western Europe, or whether it be other countries like Madagascar and Nigeria, El Salvador, Romania, that are struggling. One thing that stands out as you travel is how blessed we are as a country. It's an amazing thing. And it's a thing we all too often take for granted, like I was telling these kids up here, to not wonder where your next meal is. To not wonder whether people are going to come through those doors that are going to cause harm to us as a body of believers. To not wonder if your family is in danger. To not need walls of protection. It's an amazing place that we live in. And we most certainly want to celebrate that. We want to thank God for what He's done. And we want to thank those that have helped preserve that as God has worked through them for those things. 
this morning, I, I don't want to take away from that. But what, this, what we want to do this morning is just look at, okay, if we live in this place, then how are we to act in light of that? If God has put us here, if he desires for us to, as his word says, to be good citizens, then what does that look like? And how are we to engage government? Because I think for many of us, that's something that we don't often ponder through the lens, through the glasses of the gospel. And so the first thing I want us to look at here, I think there are two points primarily in First in Peter. I'm sure we could find more, but there's two things that I want us to look at primarily. And the first of those is I, I believe the word wants us to understand. I believe the Holy Spirit through Peter wants us to understand that, first of all, we are citizens of two nations. We are citizens of two nations. This is an easy enough concept to understand, I think, for most of us. If, like I said, if you were to travel overseas, you would understand that once you entered into that new country, that you would have to abide by their rules, you would have to pay whatever entrance fee that you, they would place upon you. A lot of times there's a visitor's tax right at the entrance. It's like, hey, give us your money right off the bat. You know, can't wait for you to buy souvenirs, but we're going to make sure you pay something. So you obey by that. You obey the police that are there. You know, as I was driving through Madagascar, there were checkpoints. They don't have cars where they slow you down. They just put nail strips down, and then they stop you so that they can have a conversation, all right? And so it would have been very unwise of me as a citizen, as a, not a citizen, but as a visitor in that place to blow through those checkpoints and to um, ignore the laws that were in Madagascar. That would have been unwise for me. And that's understandable to us. What's also understandable is that though I lived in Madagascar, though I was a, um, a uh, not citizen, but uh, a resident of that place, my heart often, sorry, that was my voice cracking. My, I'm now 12. Um, <clears throat> my heart often longed for my home country. I love Madagascar. Madagascar was like home in a lot of ways. I had family there that were adopt my adopted family. I had friends there. There was some really good food. There was some pretty awful food too. But I, it was like home. I felt safe there. My heart, my heart often longs to go back. But my heart while I was there often longed to be home because I wasn't born in Madagascar. And no matter how well I learned the language, no matter how well I learned the customs, my appearance my actions and my words betrayed me as not one of them. And they knew it. They would often say, Malagasy easy fatsi And what that means is, he's Malagasy, he's just not fully cooked yet. I don't know why they would ever say that. And then I would start eating rice and they would put away like a whole huge plate and i would put away like a quarter of a plate and they'd be like okay no he's not malagasy at all like he can't eat rice but they knew they knew that i wasn't one of them and i and i knew that and there were times like i said that i longed to be home i longed to be with family i longed to eat a decent pizza i longed to have air conditioning. I longed to have internet that allowed me to surf and not have to take a break in between. And then I moved to Vandalia, and that happened anyway. But I longed for those things. 
okay? Now, here's the truth as that compares to us. Peter says here that we have been made into a nation. He says here that we have are um, there in, sorry, let me back up, find my spot. He says there in verse 11 that we are sojourners and exiles. If you were turned over to Hebrews 11, 13 through 16, it gives us a similar idea that we are walking through that place, that we are strangers here, that this is not our first citizenship because our first citizenship is with him. Look there in verse 9. It says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Look over at Philippians, really fast. We'll look at Philippians 3.20. Paul says something very similar. He puts it in maybe even clearer language in 3.20. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. 127 says something interesting as well. It says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of that or I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That phrase there in 27 that says, only let your manner of life be worthy. If we were to translate that literally, it would say, only be citizens worthy of the gospel of Christ. We as believers have been called in and made citizens of heaven. And our allegiance to heaven should come first in our life. Peter says that we're sojourners. Hebrews uses the word aliens. We are not from here. That's hard to think about, isn't it? It's hard to wrap your brain around that. We have been born again. We are a new creation. And when that happened, our first citizenship transferred from the place that we were physically born to heaven. And we should earnestly and longingly look toward that place to come that place with no more tears, that place with no more death, that place with no more pain, the place where God dwells with us in a tangible and real way. We should long for that the way that I longed for the state when I was in Madagascar. Not only that, but our actions and the things that we do should betray us to those around us. We should, our appearance, our words and our actions should speak to the fact that we don't belong here. And if we are to rightly engage not only our culture, but if we are rightly to engage our government, then we must understand and see it through the light that our citizenship is not to this place first, but it is to our citizenship in heaven and to our King, Jesus Christ. That being said, we are citizens also of an earthly nation. And this doesn't matter whether we're born here in the United States or whether you're born in China or England or Germany or Nigeria. 
But we are all not only citizens, if we are born again citizens of heaven, but we are also citizens of an earthly nation. And as such, we have a responsibility to engage. We have a right to engage with the government that is over us. And Peter says that first here in verse 13. It says, but be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Not only are we to submit ourselves to God's authority, but we are to understand that wherever we have been placed, and for us, we've been blessed to be placed in this country called the United States of America, but as such, we are to submit not only to the Lord, but we are to submit to the authority that he has placed over us. We understand this as children. We understand that we are to submit to the authority that God has placed over us as parent and parents. In the same way as we as adults are to place or to submit ourselves to our government. We need to be praying for the leaders that are over us. We need to do those things which he has called us to do. We need to be ideal citizens in how we present ourselves and how we choose to obey the law. Not trying to find every loophole that we can find, but rather submitting to the law. Now, I hope this goes without saying, we understand that if the law breaks the commands of God, that we follow the Lord first. But the reality is that many times in our lives, though we may not like the law, it does not go against his word, and so we are to submit to it. That's not easy for some of us. We are to pay our taxes, not begrudgingly, not with moaning, not with a heart that is striving against, but rather we are to submit and to do that which we are supposed to do, to give to Caesars what is Caesars. And so the first truth here is if we are to engage correctly through the lens of the gospel, our government that we have been placed in, then we must be true citizens. The second point is that we must understand the purpose of the government. Peter shares this with us here in verse 13, starting in verse 13, he says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Flip over to Romans 13. We're not going to spend a lot of time here but I want you to see this as well where Paul tells us something very similar Romans 13 I'm going to start in verse 1 it says let every person be subject to government authorities for there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God therefore whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed and those who resist will incur judgment for rulers are not a terror to good conduct but to bad. Would you have that no would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive approval for he is God's servant for you for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out the God's wrath on the wrongdoer. You can read in Deuteronomy, we're not going to flip over there this morning, but in Deuteronomy 17, towards the end of that, that chapter, 
God institutes and allows for a king to be raised up among his people and he gives stipulations. And the idea there is that the king is to follow the law and to protect his people and to lead them in those things. The role of the government then, as we see in Peter and as we see in Romans, first is to punish evil. God uses government as a tool to keep in check to keep in check evil. We understand as Christians, it's a basic tenet of our faith that we are born with a sinful nature, nature, and if not left unchecked, that sinful nature will do whatever it wants and it will cause terror. We fall into anarchy. You look at countries that have a weak central government, and especially as you move away from the capital, you find that it's every man for himself, and it is it is absolute terror and fear to live in those places. It is awful. And so we should be thankful that we have a government who God uses to keep us in check, to keep humanity in check. The problem becomes when government begins to step out of those, that boundary. The problem begins when we as Christians begin to abdicate our responsibility to be the moral compass of our nation and we allow the government to step into roles that it was never intended biblically to step into and that's where issues begin to happen when the gov- when people begin to look to the government for more as their moral compass they begin to look at laws and legislature as their moral compass then we have a problem we look at the dictatorships of the world over the centuries it is when men like hitler and stalin and Yao begin to try to dictate how men and women should live their lives and what is right and what is wrong, and the government begins to have sway over those things, that horrible atrocities occur through human government. And even now, in our wonderful country, we must admit, as the American church, that there have been times that we have abdicated, that we have stepped back, that we have relinquished our role as the moral authority of the country to say, such saith the Lord. And we have allowed the government to step into areas where they were never intended to step. And we do have issues with those things. And we've, like I said earlier, it's become a national pastime for Christians to complain about what has happened and to complain about laws that are being passed, and to complain about the situation that we're in. But the reality is it's because we, as Christians, have stepped back from those areas, and we have remained silent, and the government has tried to fill the void in places that they should not be filling. And it's time for us to step back into that, to have a voice, to use our vote. So it's to punish evil. We need to understand that it's that. Not only that, but it's to lift up those who are doing good. He says there to praise those who do good. Paul echoes that same thing. If we do what is right, then we will have peace. And so we too need to understand that not only is the government there to punish, but the government is there to praise. And we need to allow the government and submit to the government when they are doing those same things. But when they are stepping out of those bounds, then we need to also be ready to voice our opinions. All right. So as we engage government, we need to understand that we do that through two citizenships, that our first citizenship is to heaven, that our second citizenship is to our nation. Secondly, we need to understand that what the role of government is, that it's to punish evil and to praise that's what's good. 
What is the impact in our lives? And we'll close with these last two things. What's the impact then? First, we must engage government with a biblical worldview. That means we use our vote and our voice in light of our first citizenship. This is where I sometimes get into trouble. This is where you and I sometimes get into trouble. Because we view our vote as a very private thing. We view our vote as a very personal thing, don't we? And we think that no one should tell us how to vote or how to use it. My friends, my brother, my sister, when you accepted Christ into your life, you didn't just ask him to forgive you of your sins, you asked him to be Lord of your life in all areas, and that includes in your vote. That's a hard thing for us to digest. For some of us, that's going to be a hard thing to struggle with this morning. But your vote is his. And as such, you must use it and use your voice in such a way as to promote and to expound upon the word of God and what God would have us to do. That means that your vote should first look at the policies that are being made, at the people that are being in office, and where they stand on things that the word of God is clear about. That means you look at where they stand on abortion. I don't care if they're a Republican or a Democrat, where do they stand on that issue? Where do they stand on the sanctity of marriage? Where do they stand on helping those that are defenseless? whether that be refugees who are fleeing from governments that have clearly overstepped their bounds and are looking for safety, how, where do they stand on those issues? Where do they stand on the issues of helping orphans and widows? And that means that issues of our pocketbook must take a secondary role. That's a hard thing for us to swallow hard for us not to look out for our own interests first but rather look to the word of god and say what does god say about these things that are very clear and how would he have me to vote we're blessed to live in a place and a country where we have the power not only to vote on the people who make the laws but at times we are able to vote on the laws themselves and we must ask the question not how does this benefit me but does this reflect a biblical standard for what government is to be doing And does it line up with Scripture? And that takes work. Wayne Grudem, who wrote, uh, has written, written, sorry, Wayne Grudem, who has written several systematic theologies, says this. He says, therefore, all citizens who are old enough to vote have the responsibility before God to know what God expects of civil government and what kind of moral and legal standards he wants government to follow. We have to work at this. We have to do the time to read. We have to do the time to pray. We have to do the time to research so that we may rightly interact with our government, so that we may rightly use our vote, so we might rightly use our voice in this place that we have been born into. Not only that, but the second impact is that we must engage our culture as our king commands. This means that we must look to the power of the gospel to transform and not the power of the law. This is the problem that we get into. So oftentimes, people fall into one of two camps. They say that, oh, 
politics are going to solve everything and if we will be politically active and if we will voice our opinion and if we will protest and if we will vote the right way and we can vote Christian people into office, that all things will be okay, but they neglect evangelism. I hate to tell you that's going to be a problem. At the same time, we can get into the other way and we can say that evangelism is going to be our primary focus and we neglect the other. Friend, that's not going to be the answer too. There must be a balance. We're to be good citizens and we're to be evangelists. But we must understand the truth that if we look to the power, we must look to the power of the gospel to transform and not to the power of the law to transform. Look at the nation of Israel. The law did not transform them into the people of God. They were called into the pe- being the people of God. The law actually began to show them how far, sh- far short they fell. It is the gospel, it is the story of redemption that transforms our lives, that makes us new. And we should seek as good citizens of this place, we should seek as good citizens of heaven to proclaim that to all that we come into contact with. We must be about both being good citizens in terms of using our vote and our voice and being good citizens of heaven in terms of using our voice to proclaim the gospel. It's not an either or. It is a both and that we see throughout scripture. And so I ask you, I ask you this morning, as you contemplate this great country that we live in this week, as, you, as we celebrate the fourth with family and with friends, as we seek to be good citizens and all that that means, where are you at? Is this area of your life under the lordship of Jesus Christ and under the authority of Scripture? Or do you live your life? Do you, are you a citizen of the United States first? Do you allow yourself to make your own decisions in this area? Or do you look to him for guidance? for direction I don't know what the truth is there for you I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up they're going to play quickly not quickly they play for however long they want to play or play for but what's your going to be your response this morning maybe this morning you need to confess that God this is not an area of my life that's under your lordship I ask that you forgive me and I ask that you make it one Show me how to be a good citizen of heaven and how to be a good citizen of the place that you have put me in. Maybe this morning, God's prompting you just to pray for our government. To pray, as, as uh, Frank said earlier, we're commanded to do that, to pray for those that are in authority over us. Maybe you need to do that this morning. We all need to be praying for our country and asking the Lord to pour out His Spirit in this place. I don't know... I don't know what your response is this morning, but I ask that you allow the Word of God to speak to you in this moment. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to stand and join in worship once again, and you do as God commands you to do. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and we thank you for everything you've given us. We thank you for the love that you have shown us, the grace and the mercy that you have shown us first. Lord, that though we were lost, though we were dead, though we were blind, that you pulled us out of that situation, that you healed us, that you opened our eyes, that you brought us to life, and that now, because of that, because we are your children, that we belong to a holy nation. 
Lord, as such, Lord, Lord, we need your help. Lord, we need your guidance. Lord, what does that look like for us? Lord, open your word to us that we may know that. Father, we pray for the country that we live in, Lord. We love this place. Lord, and we're thankful for the many graces and the many mercies that you've shown this country. Lord, but we acknowledge that we as a church, that we as individuals have taken a step back from it, that we have not allowed our voices to be heard, that we have not proclaimed your word, that we have not proclaimed your truth. And because of that, things have gotten out of kilter. And Lord, I pray that you would forgive us for that. Forgive us for that as a people. Lord, help us to be good citizens. Help us to be worthy of the gospel that we've been called into. That we may put to shame all of those who mock us. Not because, not in an argument, but in compassion and love. Father, we pray all of this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ.